when the respected judge was sitting in his office. A bullet suddenly pierced through the window and stabbed him in the chest. The judge collapsed, blood all over the floor. The sniper's hand was covered in blood. A call to the police. A woman's body was discovered in the warehouse with seven stab wounds to the neck. She died in a more painful way. Welcome back to our channel. Today we will learn together the case that seems to only exist in action movies. Murderer Darren Mack brutally murdered his wife and respected judge like an assassin. But why did he act so cruelly? Who is Darren Mack? With dramatic and macabre details, this story is not only a story of crime but also a warning about the dangers and consequences of criminal acts. Learning about this case will make readers feel tension and suspense and also help them better understand human psychology and behavior in special situations. The individual in question is Darren Mack, a bustling metropolis that lies in the middle of a desert plain and is encircled on all sides by mountains. If you didn't know better, you may assume you were in Las Vegas. But despite the fact that they are both in Nevada, the city of Reno and the city of Las Vegas are on opposing ends of the state. We hope you enjoy your stay in Reno. Affectionately referred to as the biggest little city in the world, it is well known for its pulsating neon lights, casinos, and museums. Additionally, as a result of Tesla's Gigafactory, which is currently in production, it will soon be home to the world's largest skyscraper. Gambling and tourism have been Reno's primary economic pillars for a significant portion of the city's history, at least for the time being. All of this may alter in the future due to the establishment of Tesla and a great number of other technology businesses. It is still highly renowned for its gambling industry, and at one time it was considered to be the divorce capital of the world. Something which, sadly, Reno does in point of fact live up to the reputation of. In this particular instance, the home of the young and lovely Charla Sampson can be discovered within the confines of the city. She was born on August 15, 1966, and the most of her earlier years were spent at Reno High School, where she was able to make a large number of friends and attain a respectable level of academic success. According to one of Charlotte's friends, even when she was a child, she had very ambitious goals. And above all things, she yearned to achieve fame and fortune for herself. Charla moved to Los Angeles when she was in her late teenage years in the United States. She was able to secure roles in a few movies as well as a documentary after relocating to the city. Charla finally came to the realization that gaining prominence in the film industry is an extremely challenging endeavor. Therefore, when she was still in her 20s, she gave up on her ambition, moved back to Reno, Nevada, and rearranged her priorities so that she could live a life that was more comfortable and more realistic. At first, it was quite challenging for Charla to transition into a lifestyle that was less driven by ambition. She wanted the money, the fame, 
and the attention even though she had given up on her acting career, which, let's be honest, wasn't going to happen between the several minor gigs that she moved between. Despite giving up on her acting career, she still wanted those things. Charla's life would never be the same after the day she met Darren Mack, a man who exuded a certain air of allure and went by the name of Darren Mack. This encounter would permanently alter the path that her life would take. Darren Mack was a dashing and prosperous businessman who had a lot of success. He was born on January 30, 161, and his mother, Sloan, and his father both brought him up in the state of Nevada. The Mack family was unique in comparison to other families because his parents ran one of the most successful pornographic businesses in Reno. The family had a very comfortable financial situation. And Darren, he was the eldest son, and as such, he was destined to inherit their kingdom someday. As Darren moved through his teenage years and into early adulthood, he earned his diploma from Reno High School and then went on to receive a baseball scholarship to attend the University of Nevada. And while he was doing all of this, he got increasingly active in the business that his family owned. But at the age of 25 and in the year 1986, misfortune would strike the Max in a manner that was a little bit out of the ordinary. As a result of the tragic death of his father, which occurred in an airplane accident, Darren, his mother, and his brother are going through a significant deal of emotional upheaval. In spite of this disheartening information, Darren found himself in a position where he could seize an opportunity. After what seemed like an eternity, he was finally able to purchase a 50% stake in the family business, which at the time was thought to be worth more than $10 million. Darren maintained and increased his involvement in the family form over the course of the subsequent years, and as a result, he had a significant and beneficial effect on the company's financial standing. During this time, he continued to live an extravagant lifestyle, squandering tens of thousands of dollars on parties, watches, and cars. He also continued to indulge in a life of luxury, as he had done previously. In 1986, he tied the knot with Deborah Ashlock, and the couple went on to raise two children together, a boy and a daughter. He would also find love and marry another woman. On the other hand, by the time the year 1991 rolled around, the couple had sadly parted ways. And in just a few short years after this event took place, Darren would inevitably come into contact with Charla. Friends of Charla and Darren have, from the very beginning, asserted that it is impossible to deny the intense chemistry that exists between the two of them. Aside from the fact that both of their personalities were incredibly passionate, they appeared to be an ideal pairing for one another. In addition, Darren's lifestyle and financial situation were an excellent fit for Charla. Whatever it was that she desired, he could provide for her financially, and this fact would become relevant very shortly. Not only did Charla and Darren move in together in record time, 
but they also got married in a relatively short period of time after they started living together. After only one year of knowing each other, Charlin Mack tied the knot and became Mr. and Mrs. Mack. From this point forward, and at least in the eyes of their relatives and friends, the married pair was, to put it plainly, unstoppable. They were overflowing with love, hopes, and dreams, in addition to their obscene amounts of wealth, of course. Children from Darren's first marriage and those from his second marriage shared a property in Washoe Valley that cost $1.6 million and was occupied by the entire family. Darren rove a Hummer, and Charla drove an Alexis. Charla would assist Darren in running his porn shop, contributing to the expansion of his business empire. And when they had some free time, the two of them would go on lavish vacations together. Both Darren and Charla did what they needed to do in order to raise their two children in a healthy manner. And in the background, they would also work at local charity events, where Darren would also run seminars on self-improvement, for their supporting a veneer of the ideal family life that they portray. From the outside looking in, it is easy to understand why the Mack family was the object of so much envy for many different reasons. However, the Macks also possessed a particularly self-indulgent character trait. In reality, Darren and Charla were partners in an open marriage. They were also regulars at parties for swingers and were well known in the strip clubs of the Reno area. If Darren and Charla were successful with it, then all the power to them. And despite the fact that this arrangement would be successful at first, everything would eventually turn out otherwise. After only a short time of being married to each other, Darren and Charla welcomed their first child into the world. On December 22, 1997, three days before Christmas, the couple welcomed their daughter Erica into the world. After this, there would be a rather rapid shift in the dynamic within the family. Charla began to have second thoughts about their open marriage after they welcomed their first kid into the world. I mean, there's no denying that they had a good time, but things were about to turn very serious. She wanted Darren to give her an additional degree of commitment, but this wasn't something he was excited to give her at the time. It became clear that there were other distinctions between them such as those pertaining to their personalities. And this is when the events of our story today start to turn for the worse. Disagreements escalated into disagreements, which then escalated into screaming, and finally, the shouting escalated into physical violence. And some of these behaviors were on full show for everyone to see both at home and at the workplace. Charla went to find solace from her close friends, and she confessed to them that Darren had begun to verbally and physically assault her as well. Darren's diary, on the other hand, has entries that recount instances in which Charla kicked him in the balls, keyed his car, and yelled at him over the phone. Because these arguments got so heated, 
Darren and his family eventually had to move out of their family home, which was valued at $1.6 million, and into a neighboring luxury condominium. And not long after that, he and Charla started living in perpetual fear of each other. It would appear that Darren carried a gun due to his concern that she would attempt to kill him. And last, regarding Charla, it appeared that she had been choked a number of times before being taken by the throat. It is safe to say that this strong and passionate connection had deteriorated to the point where it had become quite poisonous. The pair had reached their limit by February 2005, and they split up as a result. This month is when Charla made the formal request for a divorce from her husband. Unfortunately, this would present one major area of contention to the discussion. Naturally, I'm referring to the funds that we have. You have to understand that Darren and Charla made a significant amount of money working together. But, Darren was the owner of the company, and he terminated Charla's employment. This indicates that Charla did not have a job and did not make any money despite the fact that Darren made more than $40,000 per month. Now, this is the point in the narrative where I have to present the third and last character we will meet. You see, because Darren and Charla had been in such a turbulent and violent relationship, neither one of them was going to leave without putting up a fight. And this remained unaltered in any way. During the course of the divorce process, Charla sought to claim as much financial support as possible from Darren. On the other hand, Darren asserted that he did not have any extra money and refused to pay any of it to Charla. Charla wanted to claim as much as possible. Because of this, a judge from the family court was chosen and assigned to their case. This judge would have the final word about the terms of their divorce. After all of that, let's go on to our third important figure in this drama, Judge Chuck Weller from the family court. Chuck had worked as an attorney for more than 20 years before making the transition to the role of court judge in charge of family law issues in 2004. He had a spotless record as an attorney and served the legal system for a very long time. He was a dedicated public servant. However, he had only been in his new position for a few months when he was assigned to handle the case of Darren and Charla's divorce settlement. As a result of this, he had some inexperience, and on top of that, it was rumored that he was known to display some bias in the cases he worked on. Darren was completely out of luck in this situation because, after examining the evidence, Chuck Weller issued an order requiring Darren to pay Charla a maintenance payment of $10,849 every month until the divorce was finalized. This was based on the fact that Charla did not have a job, although Darren himself made considerably more than four times this amount per month. Now, as was to be expected, Darren did not take a well to this development at all. Not only did he refuse to make these payments, but he also brought this matter to the attention of the local media in an effort to get support from the general public. 
He would even go on to say that Chuck was a man who dominated others and was abusive. It is almost as if you are trying to tell a narrative about how Martians have landed, because it sounds so implausible until you have actually been in it or been around his courtroom. People who have never experienced this could think you are trying to tell a story about how Martians have landed. If you look on the internet, you'll find that there are a great number of people who, like me, have been victimized by his tyranny and the cruelty he meted out in the courtroom. I can't even begin to speculate on how much it will cost me to defend myself from the reprisals that I'll face from Chuck Weller's legal system. Even while seeing it, it is difficult to wrap one's head around the idea that the United States of America is capable of producing tyranny and injustice of this magnitude. It just doesn't make any sense. Charla's financial figures continued to rapidly deteriorate over the course of the subsequent months, and she eventually went into the red. And at the same time that she felt herself falling apart due to her mounting debt, Darren was jitting off to Mexico with his new companions to stay at opulent resorts. The legal proceedings leading up to the settlement of their divorce took a total of 15 months to complete. During this period of time, both sides also engaged in a number of legal battles and leveled numerous serious accusations against one another. In all seriousness, this situation was a complete and total shitstorm. And by May 2006, Chuck Weller had made it very clear that he had had enough. He reasoned that if they were unable to arrive at their own conclusion on their own, he would have to take matters into his own hands. And in the end, Chuck was successful in doing so. He ordered that child custody be split evenly between Darren and Charla and decided that their daughter, Erica, would split her time equally between the two of them every other week. When it came to the finances, Darren would, in his eyes, once again be the one to get the short end of the stick. Within the next two days, he must hand over to Charla a total of $480,000 in order to comply with the ruling. In addition to this, the court ordered Darren to make payments of $10,000 each month for the following 50 months toward the settlement of an additional debt totaling $500,000 for which he was found liable. If this holds true, Charla will have slightly about $1 million. In addition, as a consequence of Chick's judgment, he was mandated to pay Charla $15,000 to make up for the spousal support payments that he had failed to make during the prior months. Darren was incensed by the decision's consequences. And yes, it's true that Charla wasn't exactly overjoyed either, but it was very evident that Darren was the one who was the most upset about the situation. Even still, nobody, and I mean nobody, had any idea what was going to take place after what had already happened. June 12, 2006. It was 11 o'clock in the morning. The majority of people in downtown Reno had returned to work after enjoying a typical summer weekend because it was a Monday. At that very moment, a single gunshot was heard ringing out into the air along Sierra Street, 
and in the middle of Reno. Those who were in the immediate neighborhood ran inside to seek cover, and others dialed 911 to report that there may have been a shooter in the area. I have a sneaking suspicion that there will be a sniper in a parking garage. There appears to have been a shot fired. A bullet has been fired at one of the judges. It wasn't long before everyone realized that the noise they had heard was, in fact, a gunshot. Those who were located northward recalled hearing gunfire coming from the parking gallery vehicle park. Those who were located along the Truckee River were able to notice a broken window coming from the Reno Municipal Court. Those who were already inside the Reno Municipal Court building could see the action even more clearly. It was revealed that the judge who had been shot worked in the family court and that his name was Chuck Weller. In a frantic attempt to catch a sniper who was on the run, hundreds of law enforcement personnel cordoned off the area around Sierra Street as SWAT teams spread out in the vicinity. In the meantime, residents had local businesses, such as restaurants and shops, as well as other buildings. However, while the public and law enforcement were preoccupied with the shooting in the downtown area, other ominous activities were taking place in the background. Going back in time two hours before the sniper attack, which took place at 9 o'clock in the morning, Charla and her daughter Erica had traveled to the Wilbur May Parkway in order for Charla to deliver her daughter to Darren's condominium. The custody of Erica was passed back and forth between her two sets of parents on Monday. Therefore, as soon as the two arrived, Erica made her way upstairs to see Darren's friend and housemate. Daniel Osborne, which resulted in her parents, Darren and Charla, remaining in the foyer by the driveway. Daniel Osborne was a flatmate of Darren's. Darren had graciously requested that Daniel accompany Erica to her grandmother's house on that particular day, but sadly, Darren was preoccupied with a number of responsibilities, and Daniel had kindly agreed to Darren's request. But just as Daniel and Erica were about to catch up, there was a startling scream that echoed across the area. After hearing it a second time, the two of them were able to arrive at the conclusion that the sound had been caused by Daniel's dog barking in the garage. When Daniel made his way downstairs to investigate, Darren had already made his way through the garage door. Darren was surprised to find Daniel there. Daniel was shoved aside as he walked by with a strange expression on his face. He did not speak a word, and a towel was wrapped around the hand he was using. A few short moments later, Daniel's dog ran through the garage door, and as a result, he was completely coated in blood. After a cursory examination of this, however, Daniel was able to ascertain with absolute certainty that his canine companion was in harm. Having said that, there is only one conclusion that can be drawn from this. All of this blood came from another item or person. It was at this point that he became aware that Charla could not be found anywhere. This was the case. Even though her car was still sitting on the driveway, Daniel didn't even have the courage to check the garage. He was overcome with fear all of a sudden. After making his way back upstairs, 
he spotted Erico and informed her that we needed to get going. They ran away in Daniel's car and called the police approximately two hours later after they had gotten away. The officers would be delayed in getting to Wilbur May Parkway due to the lengthy travel time. In response to the possible sniper attack that was taking place in the downtown area, the primary focus of law enforcement was on apprehending the suspects in the shooting. But in the end, as the officers searched the entire property, they found three droplets of blood on Darren Max's driveway. In addition to this, they were located close to the entry to the garage. After receiving no answer from anyone inside the premises, the authorities raided the condominium building and discovered a rather grisly scene behind the garage door. They discovered Charla Mack's lifeless body in the woods. And to add insult to injury, she had multiple stab wounds in the back of her neck. One thing that stands out about her appearance is that she was not donning any socks or shoes. Once inside, a search of Darren's apartment turned up additional evidence that could be used against him. This package also contained a message that appeared to be a step-by-step -step tutorial for murdering Charla. In addition to this, the authorities would discover a rental agreement for a Silver Ford Explorer. It didn't take long for the officers to figure out that both Chuck and Charla had some sort of relationship with Darren Mack, who was none other than a man. After they came to this conclusion, they became extremely eager to locate him. Cots who reviewed security Phil Murchik's office discovered that a Silver Ford Explorer entered a suspected vehicle park across the river at 10.41 a.m., just 20 minutes before Chuck was shot. This information was discovered after the cops reviewed the footage. And just a short while after the incident in which Chuck Weller was shot, the very same Ford Explorer was seen driving away with Charlotte's body. Because of Chick's severe injuries, the surveillance footage, and the receipt officer's observations, the police are now convinced that Darren Mack was involved in all of this in some way. Within a few hours, Word had quickly spread like wildfire that Darren was now being investigated as the primary suspect in both of these attacks. In addition to this, the FBI had placed him at the top of their most wanted list, which was accessible online. It was believed that he was both armed and dangerous due to the fact that he was a bodybuilder and hunter who had access to a wide variety of weaponry. However, Darren could not be located at any time. And to put it more plainly, he was nowhere to be found. It was at this point that a search for Darren Mack across the country got underway. However, by the time the police officers understood that he was their primary suspect, the individual in question had already fled the scene. The findings of the data forensics investigation showed that Darren's mobile phone made contact with a cell tower in Boomtown around 11.19 in the morning. After that, it happened once more in Verdi six minutes later, and then it happened once more in Trekkie a few minutes after that. It appeared as though Darren had made his escape from Nevada by heading westward. At Sacramento International Airport, 
Darren used one of the corporate credit cards that he had in his possession in an effort to throw the investigators off his trail. After that, he re-entered the car that he had rented and continued driving south until he reached the Mexican border. There, he abandoned the Ford Explorer and boarded a bus to La Paz, which is a town located close to the most southern point of the Bayou Peninsula. After that, Darren went back to one of his favorite luxury resorts in the area, which was located close in San Jose del Cabo, and pretended as though nothing had occurred. However, he did it under a fictitious name, Reno. Investigators who were closely collaborating with the FBI were successful in following Darren through a number of resorts located in Mexico. Darren, though, managed to stay one step ahead of them at all times. Darren made several efforts to sleep with different women over the course of the next few days, which resulted in tension and prompted heads to turn. In addition to this, he would write himself and his pals a number of letters in which he would say things like I am a martyr for the Father's Day rights movement. Remember, they want to use me as a victim in their ritual sacrifice. They desire the satisfaction of putting an end to my life. My experience needs to become widely known in order to avert the suffering of hundreds of thousands of people who have not yet reached the little Nazi Germany stage of the divorce industry. Obviously, instead of coming to his senses and acknowledging the fact that he had murdered his wife, he chose to make himself the victim. However, it was exactly one week after Darren had gone to Mexico that logic and reasonability appeared to triumph over him. At the same juncture, he dialed the number of one of his closest friends who lived at home in order to offer his surrender. On June 22, 11 days after he murdered Charla Mack and attempted to murder Chuck Weller, he eventually revealed himself. However, it would take four hard days of negotiating before he ultimately did so. Darren Mack turned himself into law enforcement officials. He had $36,000 in cash on him, 20 credit cards, and a bag full of evidence. The contents of his luggage included a pair of shoes that were covered with blood, in addition to various articles of apparel. And as was to be expected, the DNA profile of Charla Mack was found to match this blood. Nevertheless, there is one bright spot to be found in this scenario. Judge Chuck Weller of the family court would thankfully survive the assault, and over the course of the subsequent months, he would make a complete recovery from his injuries. Chuck was hit by a shot fired by Darren from a distance of 150 meters. However, the bullet only entered his upper chest and exited just below his shoulder. None of his important organs were damaged. As the judicial proceedings of this case moved forward, Darren Mack's defense team consisted of Scott Freeman and the well-known attorney David Chesnaugh. Because of Darren's historical ties to Chuck Weller, the entire bench of Washoe County was banned from participating in any civil actions brought against Darren. As a result, the trial of Darren Mack was relocated to Las Vegas so that the judges there could hear the case. During the course of his trial, 
Darren made the assertion that his wife was not only abusive but also mentally unstable. According to the story, he had to kill Charla in order to protect himself. He asserted that on the morning she was murdered, she had hit him in the back of the head before pulling a revolver on him and killing her. After that, the gun was unable to fire, and Darren responded with a knife attack. Darren also asserted that after being made to kill Charla, he was in a terrible state of shock, and as a result, he was legally insane when he attempted to kill Chuck. This was another one of his defenses. Darren entered a guilty plea on November 5, 2007, to the charge of first-degree murder in connection with the death of his estranged wife, Charla Mack. In addition to this, he pleaded guilty under the Alford Act to the attempted murder of Chuck Weller. For the benefit of those who are unfamiliar, an Alford plea is one in which the offender does not acknowledge having committed the crime and maintains that they are innocent. They do, however, concede that the evidence that has been given in court has a good chance of convincing a judge or jury to come to the same conclusions that they have. After that, Darren behaved like the usual man-child and attempted to back out of these pleas. After that, he made the claim that his own lawyers forced him to enter a guilty plea against his will, and further asserted that his signature was fraudulently obtained. Nevertheless, the judge would rule against Darren's motions and, in essence, admonish him to be quiet. I do. Thank you. What are your thoughts, Darren, on the passing of Charla? What are my thoughts on the matter? I have feelings about the entirety of the situation. The event that took place on that day is a terrible tragedy. I mean, the repercussions of this is that my young kid does not have a mother anymore. My two children, who loved her very much and still do, do not have a stepmother. They adore mom with all of their hearts. As I previously mentioned, when Charla was in her positive, wonderful, and normal state, she was the kind of person who made you want to be her friend. There are a lot of people who are unaware that I also lost a wife. And despite everything that took place, my love for Charla did not change. It was impossible for me to coexist with her and I was very nervous around her. If my telling the jury the truth resulted in me being convicted, then that result is accurate. If it were up to me, I never would have orchestrated the entire day. If you can't win an argument based on the truth, you might as well make it up. It appears like this is the kind of ideology that is practiced here. Why isn't it enough to just tell the jury the facts? Let me ask you this. Do you want to do something? If you give me a trial by jury, Mr. Lolly, I'll agree to the terms. If I am unsuccessful, I will gladly accept the sentence of execution. Okay, also, that will be crossed out. Darren was given a sentence of life in prison for the murder of Tsharla in accordance with the conditions of the previous plea agreement. In addition, he was handed the maximum penalty possible for the attempted murder of Judge Weller, 
which resulted in a sentence of 40 years in prison with the possibility of parole when 16 years had passed. Due to the fact that Darren Mack's sentences will be served in consecutive order, he won't be eligible for parole until the year 2042. This indicates that he will not be able to experience true independence until the ripe old age of 82. Darren has filed a number of appeals since his conviction, the most recent of which was in 2010 or 2011, including the year 2018 alone. However, as of yet, none of the appeals have been accepted. Jory Mack, Darren's son, is now an adult and fights for his father, claiming that his father is at least partially innocent of the charges against him. When you put all of these pieces of the puzzle together, you get a completely different picture. This case has had a lot of ups and downs. The marriage between Charla and Darren was tumultuous and filled with intense emotions, which eventually led to their separation. Unfortunately, their situation escalated to a point where violence became a common occurrence, with both parties engaging in it. However, the tragic outcome of this situation was that Charla did not survive, leaving her child without both parents. Although there is no evidence to suggest that Charla had planned to harm Darren, it is believed that the thought had occurred to him. The primary motivation for Darren's actions appeared to be money, which is ironic given that he now has none. The consequences of his actions have left both families devastated, with Charla's murder leaving her children orphaned and Darren wrongfully incarcerated. It is difficult to comprehend that such a tragedy could have been motivated by money, and it serves as a reminder of the devastating consequences of greed. As we come to the end of our investigation, we would like to thank our listeners for taking the time to engage with this case. If you found this story interesting or informative, please remember to give it a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel. We would like to invite our listeners to share their thoughts on the Darren Mack situation in the comments section below. Was there a better way for him to respond to Charla's conduct, or was this murder committed in cold blood? We value your opinions and appreciate your engagement. As always, we encourage our listeners to keep each other safe and look out for one another. Thank you for joining us and we will return with another mystery soon. Goodbye.